friends, and welcome back to Tower Talks. I'm Erin, and this is your conversational podcast brought to you by Washington National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. In today's episode, we're talking to Camille Hirsch. You may know her as a docent. She does specialty tours such as the Humor and Whimsy tour, behind the scenes, all sorts of things. But she also has a fascinating background and story of how she got to the cathedral and why it resonates so much with her. As such, I had the opportunity to talk with her over the phone about her background, her experiences, and all the little hidden gems that she likes to point out to visitors. Here's Camille in this episode of Tower Talks. Hello and welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Camille, so much for taking time to talk with me today. I know you very well, and I'm so glad you're on the podcast. Um, but for the people at home who don't know you, who are you and where do you come from? My name is Camille Hirsch, and I am from the great state of Massachusetts, from South Hadley, which is um, on the the western part of Massachusetts. It's uh, near Springfield. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I actually went to uh, Boston University. I graduated from there in 1978. And then I found myself at Georgetown, where I got a master's degree in the science of foreign service. Mm-hmm. And uh, there I had a part-time job. I was the research assistant for Cord Meyer, a legend in the intelligence community, and he was writing his autobiography. He was the first chief of station of Moscow way back when, and he needed a research assistant. So I helped him in his uh, autobiography. I was his research assistant. And he said, you know, Camille, you really should apply to the CIA. Mm-hmm. I had no intention of applying to the CIA, but I ended up doing so, and mm-hmm. I started at the CIA in 1979 as a graduate fellow, and I was there 36 years, and it was a wonderful experience. So I retired in 2014, and um, I found myself drawn to the cathedral to mm-hmm. uh, start a new chapter in my life and to develop a new community of of people that I could be part of. I always forget that you were in the CIA and then you remind me and I'm always my mind just goes completely blank with how incredibly awesome your story is. It's just so fascinating. And I I love that you sort of retired from the CIA and the intelligence community and said, What can I do that is really enriching and community driven and found the cathedral that way? Like I think that's actually a really sweet and wonderful part of that story of your life. And I'm so glad that it brought you to us. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting, too, because I actually feel it was almost like divine or universal intervention that led me to the cathedral. Mm. Because I first came to the cathedral back in the 80s, and I participated in a workshop Mm. that was being led by a clergy person from San Francisco, a woman, and it was a kind of spiritual retreat uh, walking the labyrinth. Mm. And I was just so taken by the experience, the spiritual experience of it, but just by the grandeur of the cathedral itself. And at this point, it wasn't completely finished because construction mm. really didn't end until 1990, and this was in the very late 80s. So my son was born in 1991, mm-hmm. and we spent a lot of time taking him to the cathedral just to kind of play in the grounds and walk through the the cathedral itself. Mm-hmm. And But to be honest, I had retired, and uh, I retired actually from the CIA. I was the chief of um, facility support, mm-hmm. and I had been in that job for 10 years. And 
I was the first woman to be in that position, and I loved that. But it was a high-stress job because it was the care and feeding of CIA Langley headquarters, mm-hmm. of every conceivable issue that you can imagine mm-hmm. having to do with, with facilities. But I realized I had been there for so long that it had become part of my identity. And so when I retired, I kind of felt like I lost my identity. So I was trying to think about where could I go to rebuild a sense of that community and a sense of that identity that I felt I had lost. Mm -hmm. So when I was in college at Boston University, I was a double major. I was a poli-sci major and I was a religion major. And I thought, you know, all of a sudden, thinking about my background and what had really brought me a lot of joy, I thought, my gosh, the National Cathedral. Mm -hmm. Why don't I explore opportunities to volunteer there? Mm -hmm. So I did, but I honestly, I feel it was divine intervention that put that thought in my head Mm -hmm. because at the same time I was exploring becoming a docent at Mm -hmm. various art museums Mm -hmm. because at the CIA, unbeknownst to a lot of people, there is a CIA museum. And it has this fabulous collection of artifacts and important historical objects from the very early days of the CIA. So that led me to museums, but it was my double major of the religious part that brought me to the, to the cathedral. So I explored volunteer opportunities and came upon the docent position mm-hmm. and I applied and there you go. So for the folks at home who may not know, and I was one of these people until I started working at the cathedral, what is a docent? Um, and like, what does it take to be a docent? I think a docent, honestly, is just a fancy name for a tour guide or for a person who gives tours. Actually, I'm a docent at the National Gallery of Art in their school education program, but I'm also what they call a gallery guide at the Hirshhorn National Museum of Modern Art. And I was trying to think, what is the difference really between like a gallery guide terminology and a docent? And the way that I came upon that distinction myself is that I think a docent leads tours. Mm-hmm. That is what a docent does. A docent, you craft a tour, you lead a tour, but you're organized around the idea of mm-hmm. imparting information in a kind of concrete framework to people. Mm-hmm. Whereas a gallery guide does not necessarily give tours, but just roams around the museum and just strikes up conversations with people who are there in the gallery. And at the cathedral, we actually do both. Mm -hmm. We have specific tours that we do, that we research, that we are trained to do. But we also just walk around the cathedral and engage visitors in conversation wherever they may be. That makes sense. And that sort of tracks with my understanding of what our docents do, certainly, and the difference between being a docent at a place and being very well versed in the knowledge and story of a particular place versus a tour guide who may be, you know, touring with a group or traveling with a group and not necessarily be tied to one location. So that's, I think that's a helpful description for people. Speaking of tours, 
You give several specialty tours for the cathedral, many of which I have been on and really thoroughly enjoyed, um, not the least of which behind the scenes tours. And the one that I haven't done yet that I desperately want to when we are, you know, reopen again is the humor and whimsy tour. Which, yeah. Do you have a favorite whimsy that you like to share with people? And what, what do you consider sort of whimsy? Like, where did that tour come from? So I think that because I'm a docent um, and a gallery guide at art museums, I have this perspective when I'm in the cathedral of trying to find curatorial connections or threads between the sacred objects. I mean, in the cathedral, it is a national treasure of artwork that tells sacred stories that are interwoven with our civic histories. And so as I was making these kind of connections, I started discovering whimsical or kind of fanciful objects Mm -hmm. that one would not expect to necessarily see or find in a cathedral. Mm -hmm. And I really thought that the whole idea of whimsy being fanciful or something that's unexpected. And there are actually some things in the cathedral that are quite humorous or quite funny. Mm -hmm. So I kept coming upon these, and I thought, well, wouldn't it be fun to craft a tour that looked at the cathedral from that point of view, from the Mm -hmm. point of view of humor and whimsy and the unexpected and the fun? Because when you think of a cathedral, you think of a very serious kind of ecclesiastical structure that would not lend itself necessarily to that milieu. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to share with people the more lighthearted, fanciful aspect of the cathedral. So I think one of my favorite whimsies is a wrought iron gate, which is out at the human rights porch. Mm-hmm. Uh, before you ever even get into the name. And it is dedicated to two of the schools that are on the cathedral grounds, to St. Albans School for Boys and to the National Cathedral School for Girls. But to me, the definition of whimsy is in that gate. Because it is wrought iron, mm-hmm. very you know strong wrought iron. And uh, what I ask people to do on my tour is to just come forward and grab a hold of the top part of the gate, which are these wrought iron links linked together, and then wiggle it. And when they wiggle it, it wiggles just like armor, like chain mail. Mm -hmm. And people are so delighted by that. It is totally unexpected. And I tell people there is no reason for it to do that whatsoever, other than the craftsman, Harvey Yellen, thought it would be very interesting and nobody would ever expect it to wiggle. So that's my favorite whimsy because to me that really shows the definition of what whimsy really is. And there are just unexpected objects that are in the nave itself. For example, there's another one that's right next to our iconic space window, which is honoring the Apollo 11 mission to the moon. Mm -hmm. And if you look up to the left of it, there is a boss stone. There are mm-hmm. 762 of them in the cathedral. They're all load-bearing. But right near the space window, there is this round stone that has the indents in them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people think it's a golf ball, <laughs> but it's actually 
the moon with footprints. So that's an example of a whimsy, because you may not expect to see in a cathedral a stone in the shape of a moon with footprints, but it's also an example of what I call a curatorial thread, because it's not just anywhere in the cathedral, it's actually right next to that space window. So it's extending the narrative of the whole idea of space exploration. That absolutely makes sense. And I I do really love when you can sort of pick up on these threads of narrative through the cathedral, not just in terms of making connections, you know, this window is connected to this piece of stonework, but how the story of this country and the story of American history is told narratively through the space and also how religious stories are told through multiple mediums throughout the cathedral. I think that interweaving of storytelling in literal physical craft, be it ironwork, the stained glass windows, the boss stones, all of the carvings, I think that makes the cathedral really special. And I love when you can sort of pick up on all these little details and see how these artists throughout time have woven those stories together in a very practical way. Mm-hmm. So do you um, have a favorite type of tour to give? Like, would your specialty tours with humor whimsy? Or are there other ways that you like to experience the cathedral with visitors that are your particular favorite? I would say that my very favorite tour to give is the behind-the-scenes tour. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because I get to take visitors to places in the cathedral that they would not otherwise see. Mm-hmm. And it's a opportunity to get folks to look a little bit more deeply at not just the objects that are in the cathedral, but at the stories that the cathedral is telling. And on my behind-the-scenes tour, my favorite place to go is to the Winston Churchill porch balcony mm-hmm. because there is so much history in the cathedral. This is where we get into some kind of our civic stories. No one who just comes into the cathedral will be aware of this story about the Winston Churchill porch and especially the beautiful stained glass window that is in the balcony of that porch. And so I like to take people to that little balcony and we stand there and we talk about the Winston Churchill porch as being the monument to Winston Churchill in America, that it was inspired by a private chapel that is behind the altar at St. Paul's Cathedral dedicated to the Americans who gave their lives for England in World War II, that we can see a stone from St. Paul Cathedral itself. And then we look at that beautiful window, which is called the Land is This Land is Bright window. And it was by a renowned stained glass artist, a British stained glass artist. And it is in honor of a poem that Winston Churchill read over the airwaves in 1941 over the BBC to FDR teaching America to come and help England in World War II. And then right there at that same balcony, we notice that there is an 11th century Norman archstone from Westminster Abbey. That was a gift to uh, the dean of the cathedral, Francis Sayre, by the, the bishop of Westminster Abbey on the 900th anniversary of it. But then right across from that stone 
is another stone, which is a 14th century trace reed choir screen stone from Cologne Cathedral. Mm-hmm. So right there in that little space, you have the mortal enemies of World War II, mm-hmm. right across from one another in front of the poem that Winston Churchill read over the radio for America's help. And if you look closely at the Cologne Cathedral stone, there's a little settling crack that's coming directly down the middle. It Mm -hmm. looks like a teardrop to me, and there Mm -hmm. isn't one on Westminster Abbey. So right there, it gives people, uh, I think, a wonderful example of kind of the narrative thread that is in every nook and cranny in that cathedral. Mm -hmm. And I find that people are just fascinated by the historical element that's being told there. Speaking of visitors, what's the best question you've ever had someone ask you on a tour? Do you remember? Uh, yes. Actually, it's a, it's a detailed question, but I was so impressed by it because it came from, and I, I don't, I kind of have to be careful how I say this because I, I don't want to make an assumption that this should not be, but it was by a student, by an eighth grader who was visiting us. You know, we have all these kids who come from all over the country and Sometimes we were kind of the last stop on the road, so they're a little bit bored to be there. But I had one student who looked up at a Boston, mm-hmm. one of those large stones on the ceiling, and it was a Star of David symbol. And they noticed it, and they asked me, why are there only 11 Roman numerals on that stone? Because I thought that there were the 12 tribes of Israel. And it was a very in-depth observant question, and Mm -hmm. I had no idea. I loved that question. I think I find the best questions are when people ask me a question that I have no idea what the answer is, because no matter how much you study the cathedral, there are infinite details that you just don't know the answer to. And I would say that one of the favorite stories I have to tell a visitor on a tour or just A very um, meaningful moment for me was just at random, on one of my tours, I actually had the descendant, however many great-grandsons, of one of the chaplains who is depicted in one of the freedom windows in the War Memorial Chapel. And he had no idea, really, that that was his great-great-great-grandfather. It was Alexander Good. He was the Jewish chaplain on board the doomed troop ship, the USS Dorchester, which had been torpedoed. And these chaplains gave their life back to the soldiers so that the soldiers would live, and then they perished. And I actually had a descendant of that Jewish chaplain mm-hmm. on my tour, and just to see his face, when I could show him, there's your grandfather, or great, great, however many great grandfathers in that stained glass, was incredible to see that connection between a living person and an icon in a stained glass window. Particularly for someone who didn't know that was coming. I imagine that must have been quite a moment for the visitor and also for you because it was so unexpected and so in the moment. Yeah, actually, he, you know, he was there with his his family and they did tell me that their however many great grandfathers, you know, had been that chaplain and they they just were, did I know where that window was? They had heard that there was a window that 
you know, had their relative in there? Did I know where that was? And in that same vein, I was ushering for a concert because I'm also a special events usher. Mm-hmm. And just randomly, a concert goer just saw me and came up to me and said, do you, are you perhaps a docent? And I said, oh, yes, I am. And he said, well, I've heard that there are some Methodist windows somewhere in the cathedral that show the Wesley family, and they were the ones who founded the Methodist faith, and it turns out that this man was a descendant of John Wesley, Mm -hmm. and I just so happened to know where those three windows were because they are windows that I encounter when I do a tower climb. So I was able to take this person and show him, which is off the beaten path, where those uh, Wesley windows were. And I think it's those special little moments like that where you can really make a connection for a visitor with the cathedral itself. And my third point I would say is that I've started doing tours for the visually impaired. Mm-hmm. And that actually presents the cathedral in a totally different light because it's very tactile, this tour. So everything becomes very, very small. And the cathedral is so huge, and we're so used to looking at the cathedral from the vastness of it all, that to actually experience the cathedral with a very small touching of a wrought iron cluster of grapes, or to think about the cathedral from the aspect of sound. Mm-hmm. What does it sound like in the nave with that huge resonance, but then when you go to a smaller chapel, the difference of sound that's really perceptible that we don't stop and really think about on our normal tours. Was there something that you learned about the cathedral or that you've learned from those experiences of tours with the visually impaired that just completely, you know, upended maybe something you had assumed about the cathedral or really opened up your mind to a new aspect of it um, in a way that was surprising or otherwise really interesting to you? I, yeah, I honestly would say that it's just the detail that is everywhere in the cathedral. Because when I do tours for the visually impaired, we actually touch carvings, we touch uh, whether it's in wood, whether it's in stone, but every little inch there is some detail that is very thoughtfully placed. Mm. And I think when you just do a normal tour, honestly, and you look at just the vastness of it all, you really miss the detail uh, and the precision of these stone carvings. Mm -hmm. And I really had not paid that much attention to the craft of the stone carvings that are sort of at a touchable level. And Mm -hmm. it's just that detail. It's actually the same in the the wrought iron. When you really touch it and feel it, it gives you a whole different sense of the craft and the exquisite art that is in that cathedral. Absolutely. If there's one thing I'm learning in the process of, you know, talking to people and recording these podcasts, it's the depth of craft work that has gone into making the cathedral what it is and continues to this day with people doing repairs from the earthquake damage or adding new, you know, stained glass windows or anything like that. Just the level of artistry 
in every square inch of that building is astonishing. And it's an absolute testament to the skill and the craft of the people who work on it. It is so impossible to see all of the little details, but they make up so much of the fabric of the building itself. Yeah. Yeah. So I know it's hard, but if you had to pick a single word to describe the cathedral, what would it be and why? The single word that I would pick for the cathedral would be majestic. And I would pick that word because of just the majesty mm-hmm. that is in that cathedral. It is the space. It is the sound. It is the depth of art. It is the colors. It is the experience that you have upon walking in, spending time, and then just what the, this, this experience of majesty, of grandness, of something just being larger than a mundane sense of life itself. It, it just is elevating. Mm-hmm. And it's the majesty of it all that really uh, impresses me every time I'm in the cathedral. Agreed. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that assessment, particularly as someone who's kind of new to it. It's still overwhelming at times. Yeah. So what are you most looking forward to returning to when we reopen? Um, What I'm most looking forward to when we get back into the cathedral is just interacting with people. Going back to giving tours, the energy that is in that cathedral, even with all the bus tours, and Erin, you know all the bus tours since you're our, our person who organizes all the bus tours, but it's just that um, sense of awe that people have when they come into that space, and it's the energy, it's the sense of wonder, it's just being with people mm-hmm. in that space, honestly. And my probably last thing I would say is that I, you know me, I love to collect rainbows by taking photographs. So luckily, I was able to take a lot of photographs of our beautiful rainbows during this year's rainbow season, which goes from about October to March. So when we go back to the cathedral, our rainbow season will be over. But what I have found really helpful in this time of social distancing or, you know, not being able to commune as we normally do is that I have taken to putting those rainbow pictures out on Facebook as Mm -hmm. a symbol of brighter times to remember, but brighter times that we know are coming. And I find it's uplifting for people. I think people find a sense of comfort or a sense of joy in looking at those rainbow pictures. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to next rainbow season and just seeing that glorious light. Absolutely. And those rainbows, I mean, I didn't realize how profoundly beautiful the the rainbow season could be until I experienced it in person. And it's also kind of our off season for groups. It's a time where not a lot of people realize how beautiful it's going to be in the interior of the building. But yeah, because of the way that the sun hits the windows, the whole cathedral just lights up in color and it's stunning. Yeah. I also really love all of your photography of the rainbows. It brings me a lot of joy, and it helps a lot when I'm stuck inside of my apartment with my cat. So thank you for posting those. <laughs> oh, you my pleasure. Yeah. Okay. Well, Camille, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to me. I really appreciate it. It is so good to hear your voice. <laughs> well, Erin, thank you so much for thinking about me, and it's wonderful talking with you, too. And I hope I see you sooner rather than later. Thank you. You, too. Have a good rest of your day, okay? You, too. Bye-bye. Bye.
Thank you again to Camille for taking time out of her day to talk to me, and thank you, the listener, for taking time out of your day to listen. If you are interested in remaining connected to the cathedral during our closure, the best way to do that is to check out www.cathedral.org. There's an online portal full of digital content, activities, videos, and lots of history and stories to share that could be of interest. That'll be all for this week's episode. Please stay safe, stay home if you can, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Tower Talks.